morning, everyone. Welcome to the Contemporary Service at 11. We are so excited you're joining us for worship this morning. I'm going to apologize in advance for inviting you to stand when I am not going to. <laughs> Dealing with a little bit of back trouble this morning, but that's not going to stop us from worshiping our God. Why don't you stand and join us as we sing?
invite you to safely and distantly pass the peace of Christ to those around you. See some chicken wings out there. Anybody got some chicken wings? Bump some elbows. Hi, everyone in the live stream. Hello. Peace to you. like that little mix up there today. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, praise band. Well, good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock contemporary service. I am Pastor Jill, and we are so glad to have you with us this morning, especially as we welcome pastors Paul and Mary Eileen to share with us the final thoughts of our trick question series, those questions that try to trip Jesus up and what we can learn from his enduring answers. 
And next week, Pastor Jerry and I will kick off our Mr. Rogers series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? So we hope that you'll join us for the month of February where we'll talk about Mr. Rogers and the ways that he shapes us in our lives. A few more announcements to lift up today. Make sure that you check them out on the back of your bulletin as you leave today, but make sure to take note of a Noblesville First Kids meeting coming up on February the 20th. If you have any interest in getting involved with our children's programming here, our director, Allie Hall, would love to talk with you and have you at that meeting. There's going to be another respite night on March 19th. This is an opportunity for children with disabilities or special needs to come to a safe and fun place here at the church while their parents have a restful evening away for a few hours. If you are interested in volunteering for that or have a family in mind that might benefit from that, please take note of that as well. Of course, we have our ongoing grief share and divorce care programs and other studies and opportunities to connect. So make sure to check out our website to get involved and answer any questions you might have. And please reach out to any of us on the church staff as well as if you have other questions for us. And we'll take a moment now to watch our stewardship video and learn about the 200 Envelopes fundraiser for our youth group. Hi, David McKenzie here, Student Ministry Director, and we're doing 200 Envelopes again. Students have been working really hard here to put these 200 envelopes together. It's a fundraiser that we're doing to support the student ministry. One to 200 envelopes. You come in, you grab an envelope, you take the dollar amount for whichever envelope it is, you fill it up, you give it to the church office. And the funds are going to go towards improvements in Divine Student Center the mission trips coming up this fall and the retreat coming up in July. We're going get a group together, get your small group, your prayer group together. You can grab whatever envelope you choose. Grab more than one envelope if you'd like. Grab as many as you as you feel led to grab. Absolutely uh, appreciate and we're, we're humbled by, by your donation. So all of the support for the student ministry so that the students can really experience what it's like to reflect God's grace on the mission trips and to just be in community with Christ. Envelopes will be available here next Sunday at the church, or you can donate online. Go to our website and you can donate virtually for our 200 envelopes. If you have not yet met David, our new director of student ministry, I hope you get a chance to meet him. He's very full of energy and passionate about what we're doing here at Noblesville First with our students. And keep in mind that we have relaunched our weekly Sunday night youth group here behind us in the Vine from 6 to 8. So if you have students you're interested or know of, please send them our way. I'm sure David would love to welcome them to youth group every Sunday at 6 o'clock. And now we'll move forward with our scripture for this morning. Hello, I'm Julia Kozicki. Our scripture today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. We are thankful for the gift of scripture. Amen. Yes, we are. And Paul, I think this is about our fourth dress rehearsal. Do you think we're getting it down yet? I think we might be a little over-rehearsed. You think so, yes. huh? All right, we hope so. As we begin, let us pray. Our Lord, our God, you are our rock and our redeemer. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths be acceptable to you. May they fall upon ears and hearts that are willing to hear, so hands and feet will act and mouths will speak. 
will speak your truth. All this we pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Well, as Jill said, for the past three weeks, um, we have been hearing trick questions uh, that the Pharisees and Sadducees had of Jesus. And the first trick, trick boy, I'm getting tongue-tied. I told you. <laughs> Tired tongue, maybe that's it. Four rehearsals is too many. Is it right to pay the taxes to Caesar? If a man was married multiple times, which wife will he be with in heaven? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Each week, each preacher shared their insight on these questions. In each instance, they presented Jesus as a teacher who gave them and us a new understanding of the law, something for us to consider as we live our daily lives. Jesus does it again today when he, asks, what, when he is asked, what is the great command, greatest commandment? In fact, Jesus' answers today silences the Pharisees from asking him any further questions. If we would have added a few more verses to that, you would have heard that the Pharisees were silenced and they no longer asked him any more questions. So, Paul, let me sort of reset the scene as we begin here today. The Pharisees, upon hearing the Sadducees, were unsuccessful entrapping Jesus into saying something that would get him in trouble with the authorities. So they pose another question. Remember, the Pharisees were the strict adherents to the law and traditions of the Jewish faith. They knew the law of God inside and out. The lawyer who asked the question knew exactly what he was doing. I believe he felt for sure that this question would be the one that would trip Jesus up and it would seal the deal and topple him that they wouldn't no long they would no longer have to worry about Jesus's popularity with the crowds and whether or not Jesus represented God's divine authority their religious beliefs and their powers would remain intact pastor paul do you agree that the lawyer knew exactly what he was doing? No, I'm just kidding. Ah. <laughs> I'm okay, kidding. well, let's have your take on it. <laughs> no, I, I do, I agree. The lawyer and, and through him, all the religious authorities baited a really tough trap for that guy. That Jesus, but I love how Jesus didn't take that bait. He came back at them with what I thought was a pretty incredible response and we heard it in the scripture reading <clears throat> so, and since we're asking I, I took a little time to explore how Jesus might have come up with his answer so uh, you were talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and uh, through that lawyer they all wanted Jesus to well, at the very least embarrass themselves in front of the crowd that day uh, with, with some inadequate answer or even better, say something the authority, authorities could use for an excuse to arrest him. or you know, They just wanted him out of the way. Either way, his authority to do what he'd been doing in the temple would certainly come into question. And, and uh, everyone knew the Ten Commandments. So, Paul, were the commands that you just gave us today the 11th and 12th Commandment? Well, I hadn't thought of that. No. <laughs> Um, they, kind of, they kind of sound that way, though, don't they? Well, this is what I think is so great about his answer, to not answer your question. <laughs> what he said was, was straight out of Torah. And you can find it yourself in the Old Testament. In the, so the lawyer asked his trick question knowing that it's not... Jesus wouldn't just be considering the Ten Commandments, that there were a whole list of like smaller commands sprinkled all through Torah, all through uh, the first five books of the Bible, all from the Law of Moses. And these commands, uh, I think to today they're called mitzvot or something like that. I tried to get a pronunciation from Jill, <laughs> but she wasn't doing that that day. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sink on your own, Paul. <laughs> Anyway, from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they bring detailed context to the, to the Ten Commandments, and, 
and give additional guidance to living and working in support of them. And there is a list of 613 of them, these individual mitzvahs from the Torah. So Mary Eileen, I think this sheds a little light on, on what Jesus means when he, say, when he ends up saying all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So all the law would include all of these commands, these mitzvahs from Torah. And the lawyer was asking, so then not just about the Ten Commandments, but all of these, of all of that, which is the greatest? So I just pulled out a few examples to put up, have put up on the screen this morning. And I'm just quickly going to run through them. Do not oppress the weak. Don't gossip about others. Don't take revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Learn Torah and teach it. Honor those who teach and know Torah. Uh, don't inquire into idolatry. Uh, don't follow the whims of your heart or what your eyes see. So on and on and on. And he gets this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So now we know they were asking a huge question about the entirety of the law of Moses. So would, I guess you could say, which one of those 613 plus the Big Ten is the greatest? Are you asking me that, Paul? Yeah, what would you answer? Gosh, I'm not sure. I have a hard time keeping the Ten Commandments in front of me, let alone 613 more. So what would you say is the greatest commandment? You're going to put that back on me? I am going to uh, put it back on you. Well, let's talk about <laughs> All right. Uh, the, Jesus of, the, the genius of Jesus' answer is how he went straight to the Torah when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He was quoting Torah. And we can find it in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5. And for the second commandment that he said, love your neighbor as yourself, he also went to Torah, to what today we Christians call Leviticus 19.18b in the Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's actually one of the ones up there, um, but uh, I just read you the whole, the whole thing instead of just the, that little part. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That answer right out of Scripture really put Jesus' accusers on the spot. Were the religious authorities going to question the words of the Torah handed down from Moses? And where did Moses get them? <laughs> That's right. These scriptures, well known, not only to the lawyer and the religious authorities, but probably to almost everybody in the crowd that might have been standing around that day. So what a great answer that was. But you know what? It's, it still begs the question, what does it mean to love God and neighbor? We talk about this as Christians. We read it in the Bible. We hear messages about it uh, in, in church. But how do we actually live it out in our lives, Mary Eileen? Are you asking me that? Yes, I am. Good luck. Okay, <laughs> good luck. Well, I do think it's almost like another trick question because there are so many different concepts that we have of love and what love really is. But, Paul, I'll try to give it my best shot. For me to love God with all my heart, soul, being, mind, and strength is to give God my all, my whole self. I develop a relationship with God that involves my faith, my intellect, my strength, my feelings. In fact, Mark and Luke, I think I like that they add strength to that in their version of this story because it does take a lot for us to love God with all our heart if we're going to live out some of these things we're going to talk about. And because God first loved me and showered me with love, I'm to love others. That's what 1 John 4.19 says. So I nurture this relationship by giving God my time to understand his teachings. Psalm 119.27 says this, Let me understand the teaching of your precepts, then I will meditate on your wonders. 
In my understanding of the law, I use my mind and the wisdom of others to unravel God's teaching along with my meditations. And so the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And I do all this with, my, with strength, a strength given to me by God. Isaiah 40, 20 through 31 says this. I tell us to put our, I, I tell us to, I don't. The scripture tells us to put our hope in God and our strength will be renewed. We will soar on God's behalf in living as God's children as we give ourselves over to God's authority in our lives. Well, how does loving God help you to love your neighbor? Well, Paul, before I answer that question, let me share this story with you. When I was growing up, I was not one of the cool kids. I was overweight. I was a tomboy. Um, I wanted to be with the boys actually all of the time. So when it came time to make friends at school with other girls and stuff, I, I really had a hard time with that. And when I was in high school, it really sort of came to a head one time um, during a, a, a season of doing pep band in the school. Um, our senior class decided that um, we wanted to have a pep band because we didn't have a school big enough. It was a small Roman Catholic school just beginning out um, to develop itself, and, and now it's a humongous school, actually, and a powerhouse in Illinois where I grew up. But um, at that time, we couldn't afford it, so we got a, a mentor from the staff who agreed to watch over us. And then um, we decided that we would pick out our pieces of music since we couldn't afford them. So we just looked at music from piano and this, that, and the other. And we arranged them. We got together and arranged them. And while doing this process, I would um, pal up with one of the other members of the pep band. And we would um, do our thing. And then we began to pal around um, during that time at other times in the school day, etc. Um, but evidently, this did not sit well with one of her other friends. I think maybe she thought I was moving in on her territory. So one day when I went back to my locker between school periods and opened the door to exchange books to go to my next class, I opened the door and out fell a note. And this note was from the girl who didn't like me palling up with what she thought should be her best buddy forever. BFA, I think, is what we call it today. And so um, there was this scathing note which said, she's my friend, and she already has a group to hang out with. Stay away. Well, Paul, you can imagine, that was just devastating to me. Um, and so as I began to cry there, Mr. Raymond's classroom was just a few feet away from my locker, and he drew me into his classroom and he comforted me, and I'll never forget the conversation he had with me. He told me these words, that God loves you, and um, that I would be going off to college soon, and friendships in college would not be quite the same. They would be developed um, based upon who I am. Now, we can argue that a little, but they were, for me, mostly based on who I was. And I have four good friends today from college, and I am ever thankful to God that I'd had that. But he said to me, you don't, won't be basing your friendships on the standards that high school kids oftentimes base their friendships. That meant the world to me, and I held on to that as I finished my senior year. Um, so I think about that as we do this today, Paul, and as we have thought about these words to share, that to be ostracized like that so openly changed me tremendously. Ever since then, I have tried to treat others like I would be treated. 
I try to always invite and include others into whatever community I'm involved with, friends, family, church things, you name it. I try to include people in, maybe, maybe to a fault sometimes. But when I recommitted my life to God, living more fully in God's ways, I committed myself to loving others. I am not perfect at doing this, but it is always an ideal that I strive for, especially when it's difficult for me to love someone um, that is difficult to love. So for me, Paul, loving my neighbor as myself means I, love, I live the golden rule that Jesus shared in Matthew 7:12. Most of us are familiar with it. Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Gosh, Paul, that sounds like the words that ended our scripture reading earlier. Maybe we have three new commands that we need to follow. So what does that mean? To treat others, to love others as God would love us. This means being patient, forgiving, kind, humble, calm, a champion of truth, not evil, one who seeks good for others if we expect to receive good in return. And these are just a few of the virtues found in the great love chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. There's a few more in Colossians 3, as the writer talks about clothing ourselves as God's children. Some are the same that I just read with the addition of compassion, gentleness, and bearing or supporting one another. And the writer ends in verse 14 by saying, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If we do all of those things, that's action, Paul, if we do all of those things, we will show not only our love for other, others, but God's love to others. We can't go wrong. God wants us to be loving, and loving means living those virtues. If we do this, Paul, I think that we can have a big impact, not only on the, in the corner of our world, but as it extends out to the rest of the world. And God's kingdom will come here on earth. Does that make any sense to you, Paul? Yes, I was just kidding with you earlier. It, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense. One way to live out Jesus' answer to the trick question is, is to make the two commands that he gave that day central to our life use them as a guide for our daily actions and what you've shared with us fits right in with the context in, in which Jesus said them that day for the first command from Deuteronomy also forms the basis for a Jewish prayer uh, that was and still is prayed twice daily by many Jews it's called the Shema after the first word of the prayer which in English is here in uh, Hebrew is Shema Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The recitation of this prayer is meant to express a commitment of loyalty to keeping covenant with God by loving God fully, obeying God's ways, and also teaching our children to do the same. But Mary Eileen in Hebrew, Shema doesn't just mean hear like the sound vibrates your eardrums and it somehow goes to your brain and gets translated. You mean it has another meaning? Yes. <laughs> it means actually listening. Listening and taking note and responding with action, as you were mentioning before. Responding with action to what you have heard. So this twice daily prayer calls Jews and indeed all of us 
to live out our commandment to uh, our commitment to God, putting into actual practice our love for God. And I think this brings us full circle back to our question, what does it mean to love God with all that you are and your neighbor as yourself? And the Shema provides a great way to think about this. We can hear in the prayer how the Jewish people were going to do this. And I pray that as a Christian, I can daily find a means to do what God intends in the way God intends. Not just by words, but by my actions. And just another, you had a lot of nice scriptures in there, so I'll just say from James, you must be doers of the word and not hearers. So up to now, much of what you and I have talked about has uh, not completely, but a lot of it has uh, turned on our individual choices and actions. But loving God and neighbor only starts with, the, with our individual actions. It can spread so exponentially and bear so much more fruit when we express our love in community and through community. And when I think about that, I think of an orchestra where each individual instrument is necessary and each is playing its own part. And if they all engage in an act of cooperation with each other and follow the lead of the conductor, the result is harmony and beauty. But it only takes one instrument, one musician not holding up their part or not following the conductor and the harmony begins to descend into chaos and the beauty is lost. And I learned singing in the choir in this church that the same is true with choral singing. And I remember during the big pandemic, which we're all, I think, trying to forget at this point, but For where sure. we were locked down, I know that's not gone yet, but when we were locked down, when our church was closed to everything but live streaming from a mostly empty sanctuary, and a group of chancel choir members, under the instruction of Dr. Jeffrey Wright, while during this lockdown, when we were supposed to stay at home, stayed at home, and they each recorded their own little piece of a choral, of some choral music. And I can share it with you, as one of the people who did that, that it was a humbling experience. And you know what this is, it's a virtual choir. We were putting together a virtual choir. And when to, to check your recording before you email it to the person putting it together and hear yourself sing with no piano accompaniment, with no other choir members, is really a tough thing to hear. But when it was all brought together in the way that it was intended to be brought together, when all these performances came together with piano accompaniment, the whole was so much greater than the parts. And I'd like to show that to you now, a little bit of it.
was beautiful. And I think, Paul, that we're about ready to go, so I would like to um, sum up our, our scripture readings today and perhaps this description by Donald A. Hagner's of his, in his commentary about these verses is the best way to summarize it. It's my paraphrase of it. The two love commandments belong together, covering our relationship with God and our relationship with others. The first entails the second, and the second presupposes and depends on the first. Love of God is understood as a matter of reverence, commitment, and obedience to our Creator and our Redeemer. And it's a reflection of that reality in the ordering of our lives that acts towards others for their good, their well-being, and their fulfillment as we seek fulfillment in our lives too. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Loving God, we pray to know your purposes and make them our own to know your will and shape our lives around it as a start toward loving you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. We pray that if we can take this first step, we can then learn to love ourselves without arrogance and hubris. Finally, Lord, we pray that when we properly understand how to love ourselves, we will be fully prepared to love our neighbor. Amen. Thank you, Pastors Paul and Mary Eileen. Thank you for sharing a beautiful prayer for us. And now let us lift up our voices in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
church, we believe in an open table, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to share with us in Holy Communion. The only thing we ask is that you desire a deeper relationship with God. Here in a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to come forward. If you have an action card that you filled out and you'd like to drop it in the basket, let us know you're here, as well as ways that we can help you get involved with the ministries here at Noblesville First. You're also welcome to bring an offering forward and drop it in the basket as, a, as an act of worship. In the basket with the white sheet, you will find communion cups. You can grab one of those. You can either take it back to your seat if you'd like. You can kneel here at the altar, light a candle, say a prayer. Whatever it is that draws you into worship with God today, we invite you to take this time to engage in that worship, to meet the Father here in this place as we remember. We remember the night that Jesus was eating with his friends, probably talking about love, as Jesus was wont to do. And during that meal, he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his friends, and he said, take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is for you. And after supper, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather together as a community of people, to be filled with worship and love and grace and mercy in this place. God, we do ask that we would just open ourselves to you now. That that love that we know that you have for us would fill us so completely that we don't have a choice but to overflow it into the world. God, that you would be the love that we have because we know that you are love. God, as we come to the altar today, as we approach the table and share together in this act of remembrance, that we would think on the ways that Jesus lived. Think on the answers that he gave to the questions he was asked. That we would live a life that embodies the love Christ had both for you and for people. And we ask as we do each week that you would make these gifts of food and drink for us to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The table is open, friends. Come.
you so much for joining us this morning. We are excited to have you and to send you out into the world in the faith and the knowledge that it truly is as simple as love God, love others. Go in peace.